All right, and welcome to the International Code Council Region 1 and Region 1 radio show. My name is Tim Spears. I'm the treasurer for Region 1 and also the host of the Region 1 radio program. Uh, Region 1 was established in 2014, and we're made up of three states, California, Hawaii, and Nevada. That includes 32 chapters. We're dedicated to excellence in education and engagement to promote safer environment by bringing code professionals like myself and Kevin today uh, together today. Uh, these videos and podcasts are a series designed to highlight the individuals of the chapter and that make up our region and share their experiences. Today on the show, I'm excited to have join me Kevin McOsker. He is the Building and Safety Director for the City of Las Vegas and Chairperson for the Southern Nevada Building, uh, Building Officials Association and also uh, a past president to ICC Region 1. So uh, with that, hi, Kevin. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Region 1 Radio and our Code Official Spotlight. Thank you, Tim. I'm, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm, and I'm very proud that you pronounced Nevada correctly. Because that's something that Nevadans <laughs> take very personal when it's called Nevada. So, so thank you for making the correct pronunciation. Well, so also too, I grew up in uh, I grew up in Iowa. So, have you ever heard of the little town called Nevada? No. So there's a little town outside of Ames. It's called Nevada, and so um, it's uh, actually. Um, so I used to work for the uh, the state of Iowa. Um, and uh, so I, I'm fairly familiar with it, but it's outside the, the little college town of Ames where Iowa State's at. So, but yeah, Nevada, Iowa. And it's so, spelled the same? Spelled the same. Oh, yep. <laughs> there's a third pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, so you, you yeah, Nevada, Nevada, and Nevada, right? The long A, or the yes. is that the long A? I, I guess yes. my grammar is not the, what it used to be when I was in school. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When I stop writing essays in college, I, I, I'm pretty much with you. I'm pretty much done with the long A, short A, when to use a yep. comma, when to use a semicolon. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, is like I remember I went back and I got my graduate degree. And when I was getting my graduate degree, I was like, oh, man, I when I did my undergrad, I thought I was done writing papers. And then I had to write all those papers. And it just I, I'm I, I, I contemplated going back and getting my doctorate. And then at the end, I said, why would I do something like that? That just sounds silly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, welcome, Kevin. Um, now. To begin, can you share your background and really the area that you serve? Like we mentioned Las Vegas, but I know in some of my previous conversations, like I met with uh, Rick Rogier, the deputy fire marshal for the city, um, and then also Sam Palmer for Clark County. I know there's a little difference be between what a lot of people think Las Vegas is and what Las Vegas truly is. So can you share and talk about the background and maybe some of those differences uh, as it relates back to the city of Las Vegas? Sure. So Las Vegas is a city of about 650,000 people, um, 140 square miles. That's the, the census and Wikipedia information that you would get if you Google Las Vegas. Um, most people uh, think of Las Vegas as the Las Vegas Strip and downtown Red Rock, Lake Mead and that area. But we actually, um, Clark County is the jurisdiction that covers the Las Vegas Strip. The city of Las Vegas covers the downtown Fremont Street, Fremont East, the Brewery District, the Arts District, most of Summerlin, Sky Canyon, a lot of residential, a lot of downtown urban, and a and a, a, a casino strip in the downtown area. 
If you're not familiar with what Fremont Street is, visually you've remembered being downtown and had the big Fremont Street experience, uh, big cover mm-hmm. over the downtown area. And so that's the, 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 down, the uh, downtown Fremont Street strip that we're so proud of here at the city of Las Vegas. So it's uh, not, not, not the big city that everybody thinks of, um, not the strip, but I used to work for the county. I used to work for Sam um, okay. and Ron Lynn over at the county, but uh, I made the jump here next, uh, next week will be five years I've been at the city. Oh, wow. That's quite a while. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and what I mean by quite a while, a lot of times we see the, the longevity in different places. Uh, um, you, you know, when I first started my career, I thought I'd stay there forever. But since then, I've been a multitude of other locations, um, which I, I think that sometimes that's important, right, to be able to get experience elsewhere and, and share those experiences. And it gives you a little bit more well-rounded perspective. So in speaking about, like, background, um, in addition to Clark County, how long have you been in the building safety profession? And kind of what have been your stops throughout uh, along the way? Well, it's kind of interesting you, you asked me that question because I, I kind of think of my construction uh, background starting Literally, like right after graduation, I started working for a masonry contractor when I graduated high school in Colorado, and uh, I was a hod carrier. Uh, we did okay. a lot of fireplaces, masonry fireplaces, a lot of masonry, vene- real masonry veneer, some retaining walls, and, and this was in the foothills of Colorado uh, in the Evergreen Conifer area. Okay. If, if folks from Colorado are familiar with that area. I'm very but, familiar. Actually, I worked for the city a while, so... Um, I worked for Estes Park for a bit. I was okay. a fire marshal there. And then also I worked for the city of Colorado Springs for a bit. Okay. So, so we were west, a little bit west of Denver um, yep. in kind of foothill bedroom community. Um, I wouldn't call it affluent, but it was a, de- it was a very nice, nice – Evergreen's a very nice area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so that's where I kind of started my career um, in construction. Uh, I, I worked my first summer before I went to college. I was originally uh, going to be a petroleum geologist. Um, but uh, I, I actually majored. I probably I, I joke around that I majored in football and partying instead of <laughs> instead of petroleum or geology. So um, my grades suffered. So I ended up dropping out and um, continuing to work for Bill Foster Masonry in uh, in Colorado for another eighteen months. And then I uh, ended up joining the Air Force. And you know, okay. it was kind of a uh, my my uh, my dad had thought that maybe that wasn't a, you know construction wasn't a good career path um, mm-hmm. in in small town Colorado and he suggested that maybe I uh, look for uh, you know look maybe for military so I ended up joining the Air Force and luckily for me um, the Air Force in 1986 had sent me to Las Vegas Nevada at Nellis Air Force Base so that began my uh, my tenure with the city of Las Vegas and. In, in the uh, living in this valley, it was 1986. I, I joke with the folks that like I left Colorado. I went to my tech school was in Colorado as well. Um, I was a munitions technician, and I left there in a snowstorm on February 26, 1986, and it was a blizzard. And I landed in Vegas, and it was 80 degrees. And I said, oh, I'm wow. never going back to snow. And you know, 30, <laughs> what, 35, 40, 36, 37. Years later, I'm still here. So um, I ended up getting a degree in civil engineering from UNLV while I was um, um, stationed at Nellis um, as an enlisted uh, person. Um, And I ended up doing about one year in an outside engineering firm. The ups and downs of the the, uh, 
consulting engineering field, you know, 60 hours for a month and then 30 hours the next month. I wanted a little more stable lifestyle. So I was looking for a more, a more stable mm-hmm. job that was a constant 40 hours instead of, you know, massive amounts of work and then letdowns. So um, I ended up getting a job working for the Clark County Building Department in 1992. Okay. So uh, I started out as kind of an entry-level engineer. Uh, I, I uh, was originally doing some inspection activities, some third-party uh, special inspection monitoring on structural projects like the M- MGM <laughs> um, building and the theme park. I did a little bit at the Luxor, um, some other projects, and um, and I helped inspectors at times with some other issues. I did some grading activities and whatnot. So my background kind of started out into the structural field, and that's kind of where, um, as a civil engineer, obviously I was interested in structural as, as an undergrad. But it was a, this this job that gave me the, afforded me the opportunity to really stay focused on kind of the structural side of our business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I ended up after a couple of years getting a, my engineering license and an opportunity to promote to a, a structural plans examiner. So I took off my boots and I took off my hard hat and put on a tie and a, a button-up shirt and <laughs> <laughs> went into the office. And it was yep. a little bit of a transition, of course. I think anyone who's gone from the field to the office goes through a little bit of that transition. But uh, I really I tell people that uh, being a plans examiner was my favorite job I've ever had in the building and safety industry in 30 years. It's my favorite job I've ever had. Now, being the building official for the city of Las Vegas is getting really close to being number one, but, uh, but right now, you know, maybe hindsight's a little more 2020 with being a plan checker. But I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to engage with customers and talk to customers. And I, I'll be honest, I was kind of that shy engineer when I was in the office because I was kind of really in – with giants of the industry. I was with, you know, mm-hmm. contractors who were doing big projects on the strip. I was with structural engineers or doing designing the massive projects on the strip. And uh, I was really, you know, just a couple of years out of school and just licensed. And I'm like, man, these guys are intimidating. So I was really kind of shy, but this job, kind of, that job kind of broke me out of my shell. Um, I ended up from there becoming the supervisor of the, uh, at the time we had two supervisors in plan review a commercial and a residential supervisor I ended up taking the commercial supervisor. So I ended up moving a little bit outside of my comfort zone and getting into commercial plan review supervision. So I had plumbing plumbing guys, mechanical guys, electrical plan reviewers, the non-structural mm-hmm. and the structural guys. Um, and so that was a, that was a, that was an interesting uh, transition. Um, about, I'd say about five or six years into that, the department grew enough where we hired another supervisor and they put me back with just the structural guys. And then in 2008, just before the recession, I made the leap to go from a plan check supervisor to the manager of inspections. Um, okay. What's interesting about that job was because I was a licensed PE and a supervisor, it was the same pay grade as a manager of inspections, except it didn't come with the, with the protection of the union. I was an at-will mm-hmm. employee right before right. the recession, so not the best oh, wow. timing in the world to make that yeah. move. But I survived it. I, you know, was you know, I, I kind of I've never felt like that was uh, that was that big of a risk. I felt my uh, my uh, experience and what I could bring to the table would would cover that, and I had some I had some longevity with the department. So um, I did that for about three years, and you know, okay. during the course of uh, the time we had in that tough period between two thousand eight and two thousand. 
10 and 11. We had laid some staff members off at the, at the county building department and um, reorganized, and I went over to code enforcement, and we had this program called resort inspections where we went into the, the existing resort properties on the Strip and re-inspected for, for life safety issues. So I managed those two programs. Um, it gave me a really good perspective on existing construction and in the code enforcement world because that's, again, that's a whole other animal amongst itself in our industry is, is code enforcement. just completely different than um, people trying to get into compliance and people not yeah. being in compliance and didn't, doing something doing something without permits and what have you. Um, mm-hmm. We uh, we had the we had our plan check manager at the time decide he was going to leave our office and and move back to Washington D.C. and so I just remember this we were all in a staff meeting and we had all the the managers sitting around and and uh, they said well who, which one of us has had plan review experience because they're going to take over plan review and there wasn't a single <laughs> one of them that was a plan reviewer <laughs> and I knew oh, I'm going right back to plan review so yep. in 2012 I uh, was reassigned to uh, to uh, plan review as the manager of plan review and permits for the Clark County Building Department um, and uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. But uh, the building official at the city of Las Vegas came to me in like uh, 2015, early 2016 and said, hey, I'm looking to retire for a year. Um, my manager of building is going to retire along with me before I go. And I'd like to bring someone along and, and, and uh mentor you for a year and then I'll retire and you can take over the department. And I was really intrigued by that and the opportunity came up and the pay mm-hmm. looked good and the the uh, four day work week looked amazing as well. Yeah. And uh, I made a jump to the city and uh, instead of it being a year, uh, the former building official left in six months. So I didn't have as, oh, as wow. much time to get mentored as I would have liked. But, yeah. uh, but you know, it, they say that uh, some people are born to greatness, and some people have greatness thrust upon them. Thrust upon them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it was thrust <laughs> upon me. Um, and then, you know, it was a, a few months. I was acting building official, and in November of 2017, they made me the uh, building official um, full-time and, and ratified me at city council. And I've been doing it for – I've been with the city almost five years now. Next uh, next week, I'll, it'll be five years to city of Las Vegas. Wow. That's that's some longevity. I mean, you you know, just in that, you know, the Las Vegas area. So, you know, I actually I've got a couple questions um, on your background. You talk about um, I'll be honest, uh, you're the first person I've ever heard say that you enjoyed plan review the most. Um, (laughs) I've done plan review and and I will tell you that that is the one thing I, 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 I would I would go out and happily do an inspection all day over mm. plan review. Um, I, I, I have a harder time. I have, and for me, it's more of, uh, and as you know, starting this podcast and speaking to people, I have a hard time not talking to people, uh, believe it or not. And so, and so being in an office, looking at something two dimensional, those, those plans don't talk back to me. And so I don't, uh, <laughs> yes. it doesn't register. Yeah. Um, I guess, but, I guess from my perspective, it was, it was the opportunity to collaborate with other folks, you know, get on the mm. phone, talk to the engineer, like, hey, what were you thinking? What, I'm looking at yeah. this. And, 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 you know, having people at the front counter with structural yeah. changes, small modifications and talking to them. And so and that's what I liked. I liked conversing yeah. with people. I, it was the people part of it that I liked the most. But it was also yeah. just 
uncovering the mystery, solving the solving uh, the, the the question marks on the plans. That when you start looking at the plans, yeah, you know what is it that you're look what 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 is it they're doing? How are they how are they getting to a point of compliance? And I was right. said, and, and I was told people when I when I looked at plans, I said, I'm looking for what's right. Mm-hmm. Show me what's right, and then this it's like a sieve, right? The, right. the stuff that I need to ask about will fall to the bottom, and I'll, I'll, I'll yep. ask those questions. I'm not looking for what's wrong. I'm going to assume everything on the plans are right, and then work backwards and get and come up with a list of items that that need to hit, need uh, clarification or correction. Yep. Well, and that's actually that's a good perspective on plan review. Like you just mentioned, the aspect of because typically plan review is the more analytical the the higher, I don't want to say the, the higher level, but it is very analytical to, and being able to sort through it. Like here where I'm at, we do a lot of uh, performance-based design and alternative means and methods and, and to be able to see that and then be able to see that documentation, not documentation, but be able to see the plans and then the supporting documents to be able to support that design. Um, we've got a large, um, uh, a large storage facility that's going to be five story. I think they're they're starting to pop up throughout the country, and it's like five stories in height, five million or four million square feet, and conveyors and you know sh- different uh, elevator shafts and things like that to be able to move the product mm-hmm. and robots, to, you know, all over the place and being able to see that. So I could see that that aspect of it because mm-hmm. I think that that's very impressive i mean to be able to see those things and be able to work with you know people that are kind of behind the scenes designing it and i think that that's kind of neat right so um so so you've had private sector experience so i'm just curious what you kind of drew from that private sector and even your military experience to kind of help shape you um uh, and maybe not necessarily just shape your code enforcement experience, but what skills did you find that were extremely beneficial coming from outside of code enforcement and now into the building, building safety arena? So I, you know, I, I would, the one thing that military gave me was uh, a level of discipline and, and focus. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was 18, 19 years old when I joined the air force, I was a a little bit, not, not as focused as I was, um, but I, I learned I learned some discipline and focus, and especially when um, you're juggling a job at night. And I was full, I was a, I was an airman during during the night. I worked normally mm-hmm. swings or, or graveyard shifts, and I was a college student during the day. Um, mm-hmm. And in in the meantime, I got married, so I was juggling like three wow. different lives. And so when you have that in your life, you have to like this is the time I need to do X, and this is the time I need to do Y, and this is the time I mm-hmm. need to do Z. And, and so I became very disciplined in focusing on, on certain tasks and getting things done. So that was one of the things that shaped me. The private sector experience really gave me a respect for for being on the other side of the counter mm-hmm. and, and helping customers and, and just giving them the level of respect that they they're due and and not assuming that they're the you know uh, they're trying to get one over on mm-hmm. um, on mm-hmm. the building department or the fire department or something that they're trying to serve their client they're trying to do the best job that they can um, and not and even when I was in a private sector I, I knew very little about the codes and the standards and mm-hmm. I, I I knew what a design was I knew what I needed to do to make a design but I didn't know much about the regulatory requirements that were listed and so. You know, part of that process was they bring it, you know, get something back from the city 
And I said, okay, well, you know, look up the code. We had one set of code books in the building, and we'd look that up and, and, and make those corrections. So, you know, I was just, I, I guess the private sector experience gave me the, the uh, ability to kind of look at things from their side of their point of view and not just assume that they're trying to, like I said, trying to get one over on right. on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the city or the county mm-hmm. or the code official. Um, they're just trying to do their job. And I try to always try to respect that component of what they're trying to do. Yeah, and I think that that's one of those things. Like I, I had a conversation with an architect just uh, the other day, and and she, she said, you know, she, it was kind of on a contentious issue, um, and so we were talking back and forth, and I just said, you know, it, it's all about perspective, and we started talking about things, and I, I really tried to walk her and mm-hmm. you know through it and educate her on what why the code was what the code was, and and at the end she's like, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time. And not just t- saying it's because I'm the I am the AHJ and I said so, and so she really respected that, and so she's called me on a couple other things, which has been great, um, and hopefully that's an advocate for for really code code enforcement moving forward, right? That yeah. th- that she knows that we're not an obstacle, we're just trying to help them get through the process to make sure that it all meets, and so, um, but yeah, I mean it, it's. It's definitely one of those things. I think everybody's trying to do the right thing. It's just trying to get there. And how do we get there? And how do we best facilitate that? So I would, I would say that nobody wakes up in the morning, you know, gets dressed for work and says, I'm going to go in and mess somebody's life up. I'm going to go and <laughs> do a terrible job. They go, there, I'm going to do a good job today. I'm going to help somebody. Right. I'm going to yeah. do good for do good for society. Right. So yeah. I think that's the people, you know, people, everyone do, walks in that way. Um, yep. It's just that, like you said, it's a perspective. But you hit on something that I think is pretty key and important is when you're enforcing codes, it's always wise to understand the why the code is mm-hmm. the way it is. And yeah. normally when you can explain the why, people are like, mm-hmm. oh, I never even thought about it from that perspective. Right? It's the perspective yeah. thing that you mentioned. But the why is so important. And I think that's a key component of how we as code officials can be successful is that we say, not because I said so, and not because it's right. written in the book. It's because mm-hmm. this is the reason why we enforce exit width. You know, we can explain mm-hmm. it from a, from a from a technical perspective that we're funneling yep. a whole bunch of people in a small space at a at the same at a short amount of time, and that's why we need exit width. Or that's why we need, you know, whatever X, Y, or Z in the code. And the more we can explain why things happen. Mm-hmm. the better we can achieve code compliance in a partnership with our with our customers. Because I really think that that's yep. what we do. I, I'm going to give out one little secret. Um, my favorite interview question is when I, when I interview folks is what are the, what are the three, what, what are one, what are, which one of the three phrases best describes a code official, a plan checker, whatever job I'm interviewing for. It's design critic, law enforcement officer, or code consultants. Ah, and, I would go with C. And, code, I mean. and, and Tim, you're hired. Because <laughs> that's really what I think our job is, is, to, consult, is yeah. to help consult with our folks. Yes, I believe both the other two are, are not wrong. I mean, there is right. a law enforcement component to what we yep. do. We do enforce codes and standards. And sometimes when we're in the code enforcement world, it's a little more law enforcement. Um, right. But you know, in plant checkers and inspectors on on the, on the new construction activities, it's a lot about mm-hmm. being a, a code consultant, helping them through, understanding the reason why they need to, why the code says what it says, and why we're mm-hmm. asking for certain things a certain way. 
Well, and that's why I, I I always invest in the commentary. I think that the commentary for the code is one of those key things that without having that, sometimes you don't understand the why. And if you don't understand the why, it's like, uh, well, it, it says here in chapter such and such that you have to do it this way. I don't know why, but I, and I don't always agree with things, but this is why you have to do it. Yeah. And, like, and so having the commentary, commentary is always one of those <clears throat> things that I uh, I really appreciate because it, it's allowed me, as, especially as I looked at some alternative means and methods, to be able to provide a little bit more of that why uh, and kind of walk them through it. And and we, I have a similar question on some of my interviews is that, um, you know, when, when do you think uh, education would be a pathway to um, uh, to uh, implementing the code and when it is when is it for enforcement? And and as you like you just said, like law enforcement, yes, you have to sometimes you have to be the bad guy. You have to say, no, you can't do this. But um, I really think that, you know, especially, you know, is for me, I, I, I tell my staff we're, we're always fire and life safety, life safety educators. And so we're always trying to you know, educate them on the code. No different than I would ins uh, try to be doing education out in the public um, at a high school or an elementary school to talk about stop, drop, and roll and those types of things. Now I'm trying to educate you on the code and why you why this is a risk. And and I and I'm sure you get this too. Is like, well, it's, we've done this, you know, all over the place, and you're <laughs> the first person to tell me that I don't have to do this. And I, so I don't believe you. And so, uh, you know, they, and so you have to kind of walk through that. Um, I've gotten that a little bit. And so it just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of extra effort to at least explain the why. Um, and I think that we get there eventually. So, yeah, you know, and, and, and to that is, is that if you if you teach the why, it's it's the old adage of you, you, you give a guy a fish, you teach him to fish. You help mm -hmm. an architect, a design professional, a contractor on a certain component of the code, he understands it. I mean, you, you take a couple of minutes and, and, and you learn it, and mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't do that again. So next time that submittal comes in, you're not seeing the same, you're not seeing the same issue overlooked. So yeah. it helps yeah. you in the long yeah. run as well. Well, and that's why I tell people is like, when I, when I do plan check or when I do inspections, I'll be honest, I wish I had to issue zero comments because it, it, because the comments typically are, that takes time for me. <laughs> so I'm trying to get through this. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to delay it because the more comments that I have, the more, you know, it, the more back and forth and I want to try to help you. And so the more that we can work together and be able to get that final design um, or pass that inspection, the better it will be. So, yeah. But um, so you mentioned you had a little bit of code enforcement. Uh, you, you worked in code enforcement, had code enforcement experience and did a lot of inspections of uh, existing construction. So um, one of the things that, when you did that, how did you interact a little bit with like maybe external stakeholders like the fire department? Because um, I would imagine that you probably were working closely with them on some fire and life safety issues that should those arise or, you know, other things that with people working without a permit. Yeah, so we, we uh, oftentimes we had situations where we had, uh, uh, in addition to just having a building code violation, there were fire issues, right? They did a room mm -hmm. without a, but they did a room without a permit or modified something, affected the sprinkler coverage, expected where fire alarms were located. Um, we, we had to interface with fire. We had to interface with planning on zoning issues mm -hmm. because in some of these cases, you have more restrictive requirements in planning from a, from a zoning perspective that you can build things um, or use buildings in certain ways. And so mm -hmm. it was opportunity to, to engage um, 
agency stakeholders internally um, mm -hmm. much more than what you normally do uh, in the in the permitting and and the inspection process. In addition, you know, even public works, we had some we had some projects where there was a a grading permit, some grading activities that were done without permit, in a little bit more of the rural area of Clark County, and uh, we had to bring in some of the experts from from public works because they they dropped dropped um, um I'm sorry they didn't drop they uh, they 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 um, stopped up some drainage channels okay. in, along the way and so we had to get mm -hmm. some violations noted on that component as well so so again we we were uh we were definitely trying to have to work with different stakeholders within the agency um outside that and then there were there were other cases where we had um a team that we went out on with metro and with um, fire and a number of other agencies mental health and mm -hmm. safety and health organizations and did a sweep on some of these projects that were well well known bad off projects that had multiple mm -hmm. violations and so we interfaced with those folks um, as well and there was some criminal criminal aspect to that and you know it's just right. kind, of a, kind of a really interesting scenario um, to work with, with with that so that's kind of one of those one of those things that you you acquire in your life as a life experience and and, right. and sometimes you you know it's good but sometimes you wish you don't have to ever go back and do that again Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, you know, because some of those areas that you go into they're you know, the socioeconomic impact, um, like we were talking the other day is um, <coughs> you know, we in California, I'm sure it's similar to you in Las Vegas, we have the unsheltered population, a large unsheltered population. And, and you know, some of these substandard housing areas and and working with people to try to bring them up to code. But sometimes they aren't they can't bring them up to code that sometimes they are so um, dilapidated that it, it, it almost makes it more dangerous, right? You were trying to, you know, give them some shelter, but you know, how do we balance that? Um, and you make sure that we're, we're trying to take care of them as much as we possibly can. Sure. So, um, Absolutely. so, uh, now since 1986, you've been in the industry since about 1986 or, or so, well, I right? A, I was in the industry and I came to building department in 92. 92. I came okay. to Vegas in 86. So from that, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen? I, 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 and especially maybe in Las Vegas, because there are a lot of unique things w within that region. But what are some some of the biggest changes that you've seen? Wow. Um, wow. So I, I, here's here's I will tell you this. When I started in 1992, um, I got my assignment. I got my my desk. I got a pad of paper, a pencil. I got a telephone. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I got a pair of work boots and a hard hat, but I didn't have a computer. Right. Yep. I didn't have a computer. I had a radio that I had when I went <laughs> out to the field, um, but I didn't get a computer for like six months. So a right. computer was something that was not part of my work environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my supervisor had a computer, but if I had a type of memo, I if I had to have a memo written or I had to document something formally, I actually wrote it out on a piece of paper and handed it to one of the <laughs> secretarial pools. I'm, I'm aging myself, right? right? Um, yeah. The administrative staff, I think is what yep. they call, I call them now. But I actually have to write that stuff out, and then they would have to type it for me. And lo and behold, I got a computer, and 
we were using WordPerfect as a word word processing. Oh wow! And so I don't know, you know, a lot of maybe a lot of people are on YouTube have no idea what WordPerfect is, <laughs> but it was a it was it was a word processing program, but you didn't actually see the document in its printable format. You know, if you right, wanted to no. bold the title, you put mm-hmm. like uh, a carrot B for bold to start it and a carrot B to end it, and you had to visualize what it looked like. So yeah. Thinking about that from 30 years now and internet and email and video conferencing yeah. and electronic plan review and real-time inspection resulting uh, in the field, it, it's just a light year. It's like it's yeah. like not just a career's worth of, of innovation. It's like mm-hmm. a century's worth of innovation yeah. in this field since I started in the early 90s. So for that perspective, it's changed quite a bit. Um, from a Vegas perspective, man, I'm going to tell you, these buildings got bigger and more mm-hmm. complex and higher usage and multiple usages than we've ever seen before. It used to be you had a casino, you had a yeah. buffet, you had a pool and a, and a hotel. And uh-huh. then there's the showrooms and there's, you know, outdoor pool uh, day clubs and there's nightclubs in the casinos and there's you know there's in some of the casinos they actually have a full-fledged sport arena or concert arena oh, yeah. you know yep. so so i mean it really the, the the building just started to grow exponentially and uh, you know mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of like uh, uh it was probably 1989 when i was still in college that the the, the mirage opened up and i remember um i was I think I was in school and the Mirage was opening up and my wife and her friends were all going down to see the volcano at the Mirage oh, yeah. um, for the first time when it was when it was first opening. It was like, you know, nine o'clock or you know, eight o'clock or something. They were all <laughs> on the strip and they had to go down and see the volcano at the Mirage. And I mean from from that perspective and how we've just morphed into this massive entertainment uh, city is just amazing, and the things that I've seen in you mm-hmm. know, the car shows and the the event scenario, the event uh, arenas that we've done in Vegas, it's just amazing. And then the new project right here down in at Fremont Street, the, the city of Las Vegas has very first all new casino on Fremont Street since 1975 that was oh, just wow. opened a year ago. Um, oh, geez. We, we permitted it in uh, early 2017. Okay. It was opened about a year ago called Circa. It's got like a – it's the, the the sports book is a – it's almost a city block long, and it's a story oh and gosh. a half tall. The sports book viewing screens with stadium seating, it's amazing. It's 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 an amazing venue to watch wow. sports and, and, uh, and, and uh, just – uniqueness of that because there was there was a code issue obviously with the atrium concept with <laughs> yeah. a floor yep. another floor and then another communicating floor and so we had some we had some alternate methods and materials to deal with um uh, concept of does that create an atrium or not and so right. again, it's more than two floors communicating so we had to deal with some code issues oh. with that. but it was it it's a it's a great project and it's just getting you know, like i said things are just getting bigger and more complex yeah. and then they have circa has the pool area the stadium swim mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, things have just got more, more. Just it's it's. There's an old adage, I guess, when I was growing up, is keeping up with the Joneses. 
Yep. Yeah. It's keeping yeah. up with the winds and the Adelsons yep. and the Derek Stevens <laughs> and the MGM internationals. So it's, you know, it's, 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 that's, that's the, that's the neighborhood they're dealing with. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, that's impressive. And so like you just said, I, I, when you were talking about like technology and how that has increased exponentially, I, I heard on a, another podcast I was listening to like the industrial revolution, right? That took like like a hundred years to you know from like steam engines to you, you know to gas turbines to to where we are now I, I think that because of technology all that is shrinking and like you mentioned from 92 till 2021 and even i would say in the last three years we've seen like technology increase to be able to do the all these remote platforms and inspections it's just an it, it, it's it's wild to see that, right? It's wild to see how much technology has increased. I remember when I first started, I had a pager and I, I and all I was like, what the heck am I going to do with this thing? Because I'd already had my first cell phone, but they're like, nope, you get a pager. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, it, but, you know, over time, the, the cell phone came and, mm-hmm. and, but there were no smartphones, right? There were no, oh, uh, no. you know, iPhones. Um, and so that, and just that technology has increased. I mean, heck, this has more computing power than I think that probably my first computer did. Uh, I think I have 128 gigs of memory in that. And my desktop, I had like five or eight or something like that. So I was routinely deleting things because I couldn't, you know, store anything else. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, like all the bigger projects. One of the things that I kind of see, and I wonder, I want to get your perspective if we might see, because um, code typically doesn't, isn't always, the, the code cycle can't always stay up with the current kind of development community, right? And so do you ever think that we'll see a time where maybe that code development cycle will be shorter um, to maybe to try to help address some of these other newer concepts that are coming in almost daily, it feels like? Oh wow, that's a great question because I'm I'm kind of I would I would be one to advocate to put the code cycle longer. Um, okay. Because I, I, it's funny you mentioned this because the first thing that popped in my head when I, you said that is is when I when I first started in the business I was under the we we just adopted the ninety one code um, mm-hmm. and so I got my my ninety one IBC and it it is torn apart. It I had that code <laughs> it felt like forever. Yeah. Um, and now it feels like the code cycle happened so fast that mm-hmm. the industry's not keeping up the in the general terms of keeping things moving forward. But you bring a great point is that things do change quite a bit. Yeah. Design concepts change, things not intended by the code. And there's mm-hmm. there there maybe there's a mechanism at some point we can look at some in intermediate like yeah. modifications. And I think that's a, a nice thing that we have in, in the codes that are written at the the code folks initialized knew that they weren't yeah. going to be able to keep up is, yeah. is, is having modifications and alternate methods and materials. But, yep. um, you know, I probably would advocate for codes to be in a longer code cycle just so okay. it doesn't, because now they feel like you know, as soon as I get uh, adopting one code, I'm turning around back into it, back into yep. it. You know, it's, and the other thing I was just thinking of is that, um, I was telling somebody the other day, I, I, I made a code reference and they go, I don't think that's what the current code says. <laughs> and and I said, okay, well, let's look it up. And they looked it up, and, uh, and it wasn't in the 2018 code. I said, well, I apologize. I got still got projects. We're working under the 2012. We have the mm-hmm. 18 adopted. Oh, wow. Right? We're working on adopting the 21. And I'm sitting on the IRC committee for the 24 codes. So I, at oh, any one time, I have like four different code books running through my head at the same time. Yeah. So, so you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, – 
that uh, you try not to memorize. I, I never try to memorize anything from the code, but sometimes <laughs> no. by default, that those do those th- those things do creep in your head. But I, I, yeah. I learned a great lesson from from um, Doug Thornburg one time when I was teaching a class with him, and uh, we were talking. Someone asked a question. I said, "I don't know. Let's look it up." And Doug goes, "Put it away. Put your code book away." Codebook ruins good code conversation because you can just look it up, right? But this goes yeah, back yeah, to yeah, the yeah. why, yeah. understanding yep. conceptually the intent right. of the code and why we're doing what we're doing. It doesn't matter what the yep. code says. What do we believe it says? And then maybe we can go back and see right. exactly what it says. But but how do we all feel it really should be? What is it? What do we think it means? Hmm. So I thought that was I, a I, great yeah. comment. And whenever we have a little hmm. internal discussion about code and someone pulls a code book, I go, no, 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 no. Code books ruin good code conversation. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, when yeah. we settle on what we think it means, then we'll look it up. That's a good perspective. I guess I'd never consider that because typically I'm like, okay, let's see what the code says. Because, And I always, like, if I have a staff member come to me, I'll, well, what's the code say? What research have you done? And so, but I, I do like have, because you're right, because that deliberative process sometimes, is, actually many times, is is uh, very enlightening to kind of see the perspective that somebody has on what the code is. And, and so it's always interesting to kind of see, it kind of gives you the behind the scenes, uh, you know, behind the curtain to be able to see how th- people think um, and you know how, how can you help them shape their uh, interpretation of you know future codes right, right. so that's a good exactly. idea I'm gonna have to use that, try that I'm sometime. gonna use that, try that. yeah I like yeah. that <laughs> code book ruins good code conversation that's a that's a All right. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna splice this podcast this section where are we at we're at um, about 42 minutes in. And so at 42 minutes, I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to take that and I'm going to splice it and we're going to put it on Facebook. So that way everybody can t- <laughs> relive this. Cause I think that's a great idea. Cause I'm going to start doing it now. So see this, these podcasts and these discussions are also good for me because I, it helps me to learn a lot more that I didn't already know. So yeah. that's always good. Yeah. It's a good, good for me. Absolutely. Very beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so question for you. So that, so being, and I know that you're very deep into code development. So I wanted to ask is how do you connect with the international code council? Since, it, since this is region one, and I know that you are the past president, but how else do you connect with, uh, ICC? Wow. So I, before I was the president of ICC region one, I was the, uh, treasurer. Matter of fact, I think I was doing both at the same time. I was a treasurer of the Southern Nevada <laughs> ICC chapter. <laughs> Um, and, and as the treasurer of that chapter, um, with EDUCODE came a oh, yeah. lot of interface with ICC staff on coordinating you know, payments and classes and costs and, and whatnot. So I've had an opportunity to, you know, meet with, you know, uh, Tracy Lindy and Mark Johnson and people that work at ICC. So that was kind of a great experience for me. Um, so the other things that, you know, obviously being the treasurer, being with, with ICC Region 1, being the snowball chair... But, um, you know, I was in the 21 IRC Code Development Committee. I was in the 2018 IBC General Committee. So I like being involved in code in the code development process, especially mm-hmm. um, on the dais. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a big responsibility. Um, yep. And uh, I would tell you that there is a boatload of work the month before you go to code hearings because mm-hmm. then they give you the 300 proposals and you have a month to review 300 code proposals before you go up with it. Right. And, and I'm one of those people that I'm not going to go sit up there and, and not have read every single code change proposal and look, yeah. don't look educated or thoughtful on, yep. on those code changes. So I, I would take it upon myself to review every single 
one of them, even if I'm reviewing the last 50 or so on the plane to the, mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm. conference. But, so so I, I like that part of it. I um, I would say also that I'm, I'm currently serving on the ICC Residential Seismic Assessment and Retrofit Committee. It's a mouthful, I know. Okay. So I'm working on that committee. Um, we just had a, I had a meeting a couple hours ago um, with uh, with those folks, and uh, we're talking about some really smart engineers and mm-hmm. guys in California and Washington and, and uh, um, some of the folks in the uh, seismic-prone areas that, that really have a lot of experience and knowledge and really blow me away on how, how really smart they are. And I feel I feel very very humbled to be in their presence because there's, yeah. there's a lot of good folks there. But I get to I get to provide some input on a on a code official perspective because. They're thinking academically and things like that. I'm like, well, you know, and we we have some contractors on there too as well. Um, right. But but it's good to have that uh, that uh, three way academic installation regulatory mm-hmm. concept on that. So uh, I like doing that part. Uh, I like being a part of the ICC code development process. I I am I consider myself a code geek. I mm-hmm. I literally I think I could sit in two weeks of code hearings. And just enjoy listening to the conversation that people have. It's so interesting to me that somebody can come up with a code change proposal. And you can read it, and it makes sense, right? Yeah. And then there's yep. there's 20 people saying, this is not a good idea because of this, this, and this. And, right. And you think about every single thing that gets into the code. Most of those things probably had some level of debate, and it's not 100% consensus. We all don't agree that everything got in there. Um, it's right. voted on. It's 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 yep. appealed through the, the uh, public comment process. Um, but it's interesting just to hear the overall perspectives. It's that it's that same mm-hmm. it's that same comment I made earlier about you know the code book ruins good code conversation. Yeah. Why is why is it what we're doing what we're doing? And that goes back yeah. to the earlier comment we made too about um, the why. Going to code yeah. hearings and being involved in the code development process gives yep. you a really good, a good perspective on the why of the code, and you understand yeah. why. And even the stuff that's in the code, you understand it's not, it's not like the sky is blue or two plus right. two equals four. Yeah, you know? no, so, you're right. So it's so yeah. it's, it's a lot of that understanding. You know where the where some of those boundaries are, and where when the code writers, when the code change proposals got approved what what the concept was, what the thought process yeah. was behind it. And I think it's great that ICC has those um, co-changes on video and, and, and mm-hmm. just community, community discussions. And so we can archive and go back and look at some of those things if we need to. Yeah, I would say, so you and I met each other there in Pittsburgh again. You know, yeah, I don't know if I could sit through two weeks. <laughs> that, that's a long time. Um, but uh, so we are there for a week, but also too watching the committee action hearings uh, online and then also going to the public comment hearings in person and being able to see those discussions. And all, like, as you mentioned, like you would think that like some if somebody is going to submit a code proposal, uh, they've kind of vetted it. They've like researched it. And, and we've done it here, you know, through our organization as well. When we go to prepare a code, um, a new new code section to either the fire or the building code. And then you're like, okay, it's good to go. We're not going to get any pushback. And then all of a sudden, like somebody comes out and says, and they start like uh, critiquing it. They, so, it, you know, perspective, right? And so they, they, well, you didn't intend this consequence or this consequence or this consequence. And you're like, you're right. 
we didn't. And so you see how it gets shaped and how public comment even further shapes that code section. And then you have discussion on public comment because maybe those aren't always good. And then to see the votes go down by, you know, see some something get passed by like three votes is always impressive because <laughs> that is something that's likely going to go in or it's going to get voted you know, through the government process at the end. Um, and it still may go in, but it only got in by three votes um, yeah. through that public comment. So it's I, 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 I do find that interesting. Also, too, I do enjoy the bumper music uh, I, uh, that they play between votes. So uh, I do enjoy that. Uh, and so I created quite the playlist. It's like uh, uh, 24 hours long of all the music that they played in Pittsburgh. So or at least from Wednesday on. So I, I tried to keep as much as I could. So, well, um, but I, yeah, the nice thing about the code hearings is, you know, I don't know. Mike, uh, folks know Mike Pfeiffer who's vice mm-hmm. president or president of codes and standards for ICC. Um, apparently he must be a classic rock fan because all the code hearings <laughs> I've ever been to under ICC yep. have all been classic rock. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, I don't think I know this song or this song's yeah. not on my playlist. I'm going to download yep. this song when I get home. So thanks to, yep. thanks. Now shout out to Mike Pfeiffer for like doubling the, <laughs> doubling my, uh, my playlist because of all the great classic rock that he plays at the code hearing. So if you, if, yeah. even if you don't like the code hearing stuff, you get a lot of, a lot of classic rock music at, in the code hearing. <laughs> so you get two for one. If you're a classic rock geek and yep. a code geek, you, it's a two for one. And you could sit there yeah. for two weeks, listen to classic rock and great code yep. conversation. Yeah, and, and and there's always one of those things when the music doesn't come on. People are like, "What the heck? Where's the music? We don't have the music, you know, the voting music." Yeah. So, uh, but I use Shazam quite a bit over that course of that those oh, yeah. like five yeah. six days. Yeah. So, exactly. uh, so Shazam, yeah, I was like, "Oh, I got to hurry up and get this." And everybody, and so it's always one of those things that, as you're sitting next to people. Do you know this one? Do you know this one? And you're mm-hmm. you're trying to quiz each other, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Well, I've heard this one before, but I don't know who sings it." So. Let's hit Shazam. Let's get it. Let's, let's get it downloaded. Let's get so. this downloaded. Let's figure out what it is. I, yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm with, totally with you. <laughs> well, um, so my next question would be: So, how do you stay informed? I mean, you're you're definitely involved in the code development process, but how do you really stay informed through that process uh, and just make sure that you're um, on the leading edge? Of, of all those things that are coming down, so that way, as you're you know helping to develop the code, um, that it it's kind of it it's actually addressing what a current need is. So one of the things that I think is important, you know, obviously being at the code hearings and talking to other people in our industry outside mm-hmm. of your own area, even you know as great as Region One is and the greatest the Californians are, it's good to get a Colorado, it's good to get yep. a Midwest experience, good to get the South experience. Um, Northeast experience and talk to people outside your region and your area and become and that's the great thing about it. I mean, co geeks are co geeks and we all mm-hmm. we all get together and talk and it's good <laughs> to have that camaraderie right. and and uh, um, so so networking with people at code hearings from a national perspective I think is one way you can do that. But on the other side, locally, I think it's important that you stay active with you know local folks that are in like NAOP and the AIA chapters in your local areas. Mm-hmm. I think that's really super important. I got a couple of contacts in those groups that I stay stay active with, but I'm also very active with the the plumbing, heating, cooling contractors of Nevada, IATMO, Southern Nevada, um, mm-hmm. the uh, 
International Association of Electrical Inspectors. I can never say the acronym because I always mess up one one of those vowels. Um, the Southern Nevada Home Builders, the Nevada Contractors Association. I, I mean, I go to all their monthly meetings. I'm trying to make it mm-hmm. a point to be at these places so they know who I am. They see my face. They know they know me. They can pick up the phone and it's yeah. not calling some stranger that they don't know. Um, if right, they have a right. problem, what are the things that they're seeing in their industry? that we're doing or we're enforcing or we're seeing in a code perspective mm-hmm. that we can help them navigate either through a code change proposal or through consideration of like how this impacts the industry. But just right. being there and being part of the construction industry, I think it's really, really important, especially if anyone is out there wants to be a code official someday. I think that's probably, mm-hmm. you know, really important is to have that face-to-face connection. Yeah. I mean, the PHC invites me to their Christmas party. The PHCC, oh, wow. I, I go. I, I just have a fascination with these guys because they are just the greatest bunch of people you ever want to hang out with. Um, they they are very fun. Um, they they are very serious about the plumbing and, and mechanical world. Mm-hmm. They have a great apprenticeship program. Um, they have a chili cook-off and car show every every fall here in Vegas. Oh wow! Um, they have an apprentice um, thing in the spring that they do where they apprentices are building their benches. And, and working through their, that process of learning and being competing for a national mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, and so they're just a fun, loving group. And, and I just really, I, I, take a, I take three Saturdays out of my work, out of my life to go hang out with the plumbers. And, and my <laughs> wife just rolls around and going with those guys again. <laughs> I, like, you, know, I mean, you have not lived. I will tell you this. They have this chili cook right. in the spring. You have not lived until you've eaten chili out of a toilet. Wow. Well, I hope it's clean. It's clean. Um, it's, it's clean. Yeah, it's a new toilet. <laughs> yeah, that's even better because yeah. I don't even want a clean used toilet yeah, to yeah, be yeah, my bowl yeah, for chili. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I saw that. I was like, uh, I'm not doing it. Oh, no, it's it's it's, nope. it's the ritual. You're a new guy. You got to do it. You gotta... <laughs> You're the new guy. So so they get they yeah. set up the new guy. That's yeah. probably what it was. Yeah, it was probably, a setup. It was, a setup. <laughs> it was one, one of the one of the people who had the chili contest. They served it out of the uh, toilet. Interesting. So, yeah. uh, Only wow. plumbers. Well, Only um, plumbers. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> well, we're nearing an hour, but I, what I want to ask, because I know that you uh, you and, and all the other su- Southern Nevada building officials are um, hosting EDGECODE. And EDGECODE, I think I've been there. I think it's great. Um, I, I wish I could go again this year. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But um, as we talk about that um, and we talk about um, you know training and, and bringing on new staff, what, are, what do you think are some of the essential skills for people um, you know, because our our profession unfortunately is starting to age, and we're not getting as many new, you know, younger people into the profession as as what I was. I keep trying to tell my son to hey, be a fire inspector, be be a building inspector. I think you you you'll get a lot of enjoyment out. He's like, I'm not doing that. Um, he he's like, I'm gonna mess with my car. I'm gonna go work here, but I'm not gonna do that. So, what skills do you find, or do you consider to be the most essential um, for somebody that may want to pursue this field? The most essential, I, I, I believe that probably the most essential is to be able to communicate, to be able to mm-hmm. listen to people and hear things out and be analytical. I think that is the, really the most important part is, you know, you, somebody's telling you the reason they're doing something from a code perspective and you cut them off. Yeah. Well, 
you're not going to hear the full story. You're, you're closing your mind. You got to listen, and you got to be able to communicate and talk, and you got to have that open communication. That's the key thing. That's the most important piece, in my opinion. Yeah. Is you have to have a good communication skills with people. That's I think that's super important. Um, the technical stuff I think you can learn. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know much about you know fire rated assemblies when I was doing structural plan review. I knew they existed, <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah. accident width and that's I, yeah. I didn't know anything much about that. I learned yeah. it, right? I learned it on the job. I went to yep. Educota and learned that stuff. Um, but yeah. uh, I think, you know, being a good and, and just wanting to be a, a good public servant and wanting to do a good yeah. job every day uh, and communicating, yep. I think those are the, a good work ethic. Because as you know, this mm-hmm. this this profession isn't necessarily um, like a factory where a, an yeah. F-150 comes through the line every yep. 60 seconds and you got to put the tires on the car or you got to put the tailgate mm-hmm on the, yep. the bed of the truck, right? Every 60 seconds, you've got to do something. There's a lot of times you have to have that initiative to get stuff done. So having an initiative, yep. wanting, have, being able to listen and communicate with people and, and, and having some of those analytical skills that we talked about earlier is important. But I think if you, if yeah. you, if you have the initiative and the communication skills, then you can be very successful in this business. But, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned this because I think, you know, as, as you said, is like the younger generation um, – and I'll go back to what I said earlier. The younger generation is all about technology, right? They mm-hmm. don't. They, didn't, they yep. don't have. My kids went to college, and they didn't have textbooks. They had books on their computer, yep. um, right? You know, yep. I I have a stack of code books on me because I'm an old guy, right? <laughs> but but it's it's this business is moving towards this this, this yeah. technology. I said earlier that yep. I didn't even have a computer when I started for six months, mm-hmm. and now I have like three computer screens in my office. I have a, a giant. Uh, plan review desk in my office. Um, right. My inspectors all carry tablets and use that. They're all doing electronic mm-hmm. plan review. My inspectors are doing video inspections. You and I are on a video call. This is stuff right. that I never dreamed would have happened in the 90s. Right. Um, but yep. it's all here now. And all of this is going to be more technology. This is going to be, this business will become more techno- technologically driven. There will be more mm-hmm. innovations. I keep thinking about yeah. how do we the one piece that I'm I'm struggling with, with from an innovation perspective is how do we get inspectors are well, I think probably most inspectors are on some kind of digital platform where they take mm-hmm. a tablet or a laptop out to the job site and do their inspection. But how do they, like plan checkers, review a set of drawings for a bigger project? On a tablet, you can look at a, a, a small tenant improvement yeah. or a water heater or HVAC mm-hmm. replacement on your screen pretty easily, a block wall permit. Pretty, yeah. pretty easy on a small screen with a couple of drawings. When you get to right. a fairly big project, how are we going to get that piece to the inspector so they can be yeah. effectively be able to look at yeah. full-size drawings on a major project on a small yeah. device screen. and a small yeah. screen? Um, so I Do you that's... end up, is it like a wearable, right? Like maybe glasses yeah. and being able to you know connect glasses and so... That way they can control it on, but then that would might make you sick, right? <laughs> yeah. So because so because all the technology yeah. that we've made improvements to bring e plans into the office, yeah, right. Yep. We we still have our contract. We still have contractors printing plans for our inspectors out in the field on the big on the bigger jobs on the track uh-huh. homes because that's what everyone's still accustomed to and that's what everyone's still using. But at some point we got to yeah. move that technology. Um, digitally to the to the next yeah. level to the fields, and it's it's a lot more complicated yep. because 
um, you know, an inspector's not going to want to carry around a 30-inch monitor out to a job no. site to look at plans, you know. It might be a touch-heavy. It might be a little um. touch-heavy, but, you know, maybe it, maybe it's some, you know, new technology that it's, 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 it's accessed faster through the web yeah. as we get the, you know. Yeah. There wasn't even, that Wi-Fi when it came out wasn't even, there wasn't even G's when I first learned about Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, that, now, now we're up, up to, to the 5G. Now we're up to 5G. So maybe in, you know, maybe another 10, 10 years or no, we'll be up to 8 or 9G. And the technology <laughs> will be so fast that they'll be able to pull plans for a, like a, a circuit yeah. hotel and casino. And they'll be able to flip Just by plans press a button. so fast yeah. that it's almost yep. like having that paper. Because, you know, back in the old, Tim, it sounds like you and I yeah. go back from the old school. Where you you kind of knew yep. where the detail sheets were, and you could grab a yep. you know eighty sheets and flip it over, and you're pretty close to the detail sheets. Be needed, right there, right? Yep. But we need to get that kind of where, where can we get that technology um, and that right. kind of ease for our inspectors because they have a short amount of time they need to be on the job site. So yeah. that's that's how do you the, make it functional? And and that's the innovation that will be the next yeah. step from this from this digital world. And so that's where I think if we're trying to encourage the younger generation. Into our businesses, we can we got to engage them um, in the innovation that we've made in the past and we've made, mm-hmm. especially during COVID. We've accelerated. I mean, we took yeah. we did a leap year of, of innovation during COVID. I think yep. most most building departments went a leap year of yep leaped. I agree. You know, a light year leaped a light year in, into <laughs> innovation through COVID. But right. the next generation that's how we bring these next generation of yeah. people into our business is. Tell them how exciting the new innovations and the opportunities that exist in the innovative yep. part of the, our business. Yeah, because it's all going to be technology driven. I, I, you know, I see the remote inspections, and I think that remote inspections, uh, you know, for me um, to to be able to utilize remote inspections, and we haven't really done really hardly any remote inspections, but the the concept of it i just think is so fascinating and how do you get there to be able to make it even better than what it is today instead of like for a 10 minute inspection is there some way that i can you know utilize technology to accomplish that instead of investing you know really we talk about energy um the gas and and uh, all the additional resources that it's going to take me to get somebody out there. Now, now that means things we're going to be doing a lot more of things, right? So that just means more things are going to be, you know, instead of the drive where you can decompress a bit. Um, and now you don't have that. Um, right. But uh, I'd really like to see that, um, you know, and see that. And even, you know, digital plan review, uh, eventually there's going to be a, an algorithm that's just going to, you know, spit it all out. Yeah. And so I'll be interested to see how that works. It's, it's interesting so. you mentioned the decompressing because I was thinking about one of my plans examiners that was telling me about when we, a couple months we were into e-plans, right? And and uh, and he said, you know, the one thing I miss about the old paper process is physically rolling up the plans, that sense of accomplishment, right, of rolling oh, up the plans yeah. and then taking them back down to the repository. I got like five or ten minutes to walk down and pick up a new set of plans I got to decompress for a few minutes. I wasn't sitting in my office. In the digital world, you click close, you click open to the next project. <laughs> you know, 
And so, you know, and I totally understood where it was coming from because I remember that yeah. kind of same thing. And then, yep. and then, you know, of course, as a, as a manager, now I'm like, well, that's great. Shut down and start the next one. <laughs> Boom, more efficiency. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're back on it. You're going to get three more plans done today. Yeah. That's great. You, you do that five <laughs> times in a day. I get one extra plan review done every day. So, you know, as a manager, I think it's great. But from a human perspective, yeah. you know, it's that it's that de- like you said in the inspections. Yep. You, you get a, you get five minutes or ten minutes of decompression from going from job site to job site. And, you know, yeah. sometimes that's good for your mental health just to have that yeah. little bit of a break. So um, I, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that I've been trying to explore more of, especially during COVID and post-COVID. Well, I don't even think, say we're post-COVID yet, but we're, we're starting to transition. I hope we're starting to transition and keep moving forward. Fingers fingers. Across. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, how do we, you know, I think that that's been one of the un- um, I don't want to say unwritten, but un, uh, not necessarily highly considered is the mental health of a lot of our, our code professionals. And, and I, I hope that we continue to do that. I, you know, for me, uh, you know, I try to, you know, work on meditation. I try to, you know, recommend that to others. But, you know, how do we how do we continue to decompress, deal with stress? Because sometimes it can be high stress, right? right. And so how do we take care of it? And what's going to be the, the pathway moving forward? And, and I do use my drive home or my drive from the office to home as just a time to breathe a little bit, you know, listen to a podcast maybe this podcast so if you're still listening so you can listen to this podcast and and maybe not necessarily think about things and and maybe kind of just drift off a bit and just really you know what's in front of me on the road and that's really about it get into that um, i think it's the daniel kaufman where you know think uh, something about thinking slow and acting fast or something like that you system one system two all this other stuff Mm -hmm. but being able to think you know use that and just be able to drive and kind of zone out a bit and and kind of reflect on the day. Absolutely, so, absolutely. But, yeah. um, so uh, before we before we end, one of the things I wanted to you know hopefully um, it's there's still time, but uh, give you an opportunity to to visit and and be able to share some information on Educode. Um, so hopefully that there are, you know people still listening that may want to attend um, and kind of what Educode is. So Educode is our weekly uh, a full week training class in all areas of of building codes, electrical, structural, mechanical, plumbing, leadership, um, certification classes. We have a number of tracks available to folks who are in our business to get educated. Obviously, we have continuing education requirements that are, are, are required by us to keep our certifications. But this is a fun place to uh, get the training you need, a, a really quality, high-level high, high level education um, locally in Las Vegas. The great thing about it is it's pretty, it's pretty good cost and it's pretty great place to be. Mm-hmm. The hotel rooms are yep. really reasonable because it's midweek yep. in Vegas. And if anyone knows, midweek in Vegas is always the best time to come from a price point perspective. Um, we also have, uh, we also just don't teach you classes and then send you on your way to go sit in your hotel room. And, you know, uh, we have uh, events on Tuesday night at the Mardi Gras party. Wednesday night, it's usually the vendor appreciation night mm-hmm. and thursday is the bowling night so, so we have three different social and en- venues where you can uh, interact with your fellow 
code officials and peers and folks you came with mm-hmm. and have really good time as opposed as opposed to just sitting in your hotel room rereading the code right. book that you just read for eight hours <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or finding other trouble that you could possibly get into in Las Vegas. But that's There's a, a, that's a po- podcast, yeah. podcast, <laughs> podcast for another day. But but it's a great venue. We've had a lot of great success in, in EduCode. We have ICC speakers. We bring industry experts from other areas. Um, we have... Uh, local folks that do classes here. Um, we're doing this year with uh, with the kind of the where we were started with planning this event. We weren't sure where COVID was. So we're doing a hybrid model. We're doing both in-person classes and virtual classes. Last year was all virtual the first time. Um, while I can't say enough about uh, the Southern Nevada chapter being able to pull that off and the technology um, to make that happen. What, I wouldn't say it was a smooth road every day, every minute, but it, it did go well, so we're going to have a virtual right. component and a live component. I think there's a, uh, there's some real real value of having um, live. I'm sorry, my battery's going down. I better plug my laptop back in. Uh, but there's a really good um, value of having live <laughs> live um, live training classes as well. So we look forward to anyone who's going to be at, attending EduCode. Yeah. Uh, if you if you're oh. watching this or we'll watch it in Kevin, the future, and you come to Educode, step by and say hi and say you love the podcast that Tim and I did today. Yeah, you know I um, you know for me uh, Educode is uh, I've been there once. I I really enjoyed it. I wish I could go again. I don't think I'm going to be able to go this year, but definitely next year. It's a it's a highlight. I think that you you haven't gone um, and you're on the western side of the United States and you're looking for a class. I think that. This is uh, a highlight, um, and I know it, it is definitely one that you'll see registration links uh, through uh, on the ICC website as well um, oh, to be ooh. able to get in there. I know. Um, Educode.us. Oh, sorry. Educode.us. Yeah, yeah. You didn't, okay. you didn't, I, I totally forgot to plug the website. Educode.us. <laughs> registration always opens right at the ABM. We always get our classes scheduled and get our brochure done for the ABM, so Every single year, when you think ABM, think Educode as well, because that's when our registration opens. Educode.us is the website. Uh, All the classes are there, and you can do all the registration. You can determine what classes you need and find out what what, uh, social events are happening after hours at Educode as well. All right. Well, Kevin, is there anything else that you would like to add that, that we're a little over an hour? So I, I try to, you know, I don't want to keep you. I know you're a busy man. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up for the day? No, I guess, you know, if I, if I were to say one thing is, you know, I, we talked a little bit about the code development process. And, and uh, I think, you know, I, I try to plug that to some degree. But it's, I think it's important for us as code officials to be involved. I can, I continue to see less code officials at the meetings and and not a good balance between code officials and industry folks. So mm-hmm. uh, there's yeah. a great value of just being there yep. learning, but there's also a great value of, of having our voice heard in the code development process as well. So um, uh, go there, you know, for the first time, sit down, watch it for a few hours, um, mm-hmm. and watch it for a few days, uh, get to know how it works. Just listen. I mean, if nothing else, just go there to yeah. listen and understand what's yeah, happening. Yeah, it's quite the process. And yeah, so I, um, you get a real appreciation. I've only been through – yep, I've been through two cycles. I went through the, 
the the group B cycle and then now the group A cycle and and I'll tell you that it has shaped me differently as a code professional and also to be able to see all the people that are involved in the code development process that's I I will tell you that I've learned a lot um, just in in the three has it been three years four years maybe that I've been on the uh, Cal Chiefs code development committee so it's, mm -hmm. yeah I agree with you one hundred percent so be, be involved in the code uh, development process that's my as as, I'm, yeah. as I'm, I'm probably going to retire in the next year or so, <laughs> as my plea to all people coming up in the business, stay involved yeah. in the co-development process because it's important. Yep. It's important for us. It's important for you to learn it as well. So, Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. I want to thank Kevin for joining us uh, and taking up some time. I, I, I cut into his lunch, I'm sure. Um, I ate lunch beforehand, so, so I knew I knew I, oh, I knew oh. I was going to go long because that's who I am. <laughs> I'm 15 minutes late for my next meeting, but that's who I am too. Oh. <laughs> um, we hope that you really enjoyed the insight that he shared. I think that you know he he brings a much different perspective and the experiences. I I, I hope they help you, and as, especially as we talk about code development. Get involved in code development. That's what, you know, to help shape the future. Um, I, and I, I know that, um, I don't know if Gary Lewis ever listens to these podcasts from New Jersey, but I saw on the Building Safety Journal that he is retiring and, and he has been highly involved, you know, throughout his time, you know. And so, you, you, you know, get involved, help shape the code, do those things, get involved in your local chapter, provide feedback. And I think that that's just going to help us in the long term. Um and then, as always, I want to thank everybody for listening and watching, if, you, if you're still with us on Region 1 Radio. Um, if you enjoy the show, please make sure to – I don't even know, but um, a lot of people still listen to us on Apple Podcasts. So make sure to rate the, rate the show, and, and uh, um, hopefully if you want to be on an upcoming episode, please let me know. I'm always looking for people. As Kevin knows, uh, uh, sometimes it's just out of the blue. I'll send you an email. <laughs> so if you have any availability, it only takes uh, you know, uh, you know, a little bit a little bit of time and I'll and uh, and we'll work through it together. So with that, I want to thank everybody for listening.